Thank you for joining us on Warrior Women Speak. I'm Judge Rosemary Aquilina, author of Just Watch Me, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sherry Botwin, LCSW, social worker and trauma specialist and author of Thriving After Trauma, Stories of Living and Healing. We have created this podcast for your enjoyment and so that we all can talk about our issues and learn together about how to deal with trauma and those things that spring up in our everyday life. Please join us for every episode and let us know what you want to talk about. Now for the show. Welcome back to Warrior Women Speak. I'm so happy to be here with Sherry Botwin. She and I have covered so much territory, but today I'm going to put her on the hot spot. We are talking about resilience and building resilience and all sorts of aspects of it. And the bottom line is we all face trauma, adversity, difficulties, personally, professionally, And the issues are, how do we adapt to change? How can we emerge stronger than we were before? And how can we remain hopeful with so much going on in our lives and in the world? And what's intriguing about this topic for today is that there's an 11-year-old hero that Sherry wrote about. And her question is, how does resiliency lead to hope and safety? And I think that was in psychology today. Great article, Sherry. So what's the bottom line and how do we get there? The bottom line, I think when I read this story and I think of the word resiliency is moving forward and imagining all will be okay. Even in a situation where we feel like there's no way that I'm going to get through this. The reason I wanted to write about this story was because in the, during the last three weeks, we have, we have been watching so many stories of women and children and the elderly trying to get out of a very dangerous, dangerous situation with the war that's going on. And we've heard a lot from moms. We've heard a lot from young couples, but this was the first story where we heard from a child and you and I, we've met a lot of people through the years that have dealt with so many different adverse situations. But the thing that I think that sets this little guy apart and some of what I, we're gonna be talking about today was how his resiliency got him to be able not just to go through something difficult, but to be able to go through it without the support of an adult, without the support of a family member. That is something that seems almost impossible to not even just survive, but even to just be able to part ways and say, I'm going to do what my mom is saying, because I know that she's telling me what's right and know that I am going to be okay. So the story is really about this 11 year old who is told, go 600 miles and meet up with your family. And he writes what, what is it, a phone number, an address, some information on his hand. That's really all he has to get him there, right? He, so what happened was his mom needed to stay in Ukraine because her mom is older and cannot travel. So what his mom did was she wrote the phone number of his siblings. His siblings are in Slovakia. 
So he was instructed by his mom, take your phone, take this bag. And she wrote in purple ink on his right hand. It was interesting because when I listened to the interview with him, he even talked about how it was on his right hand. That, that meant something to him. And he was told when you cross the border, as soon as you cross the border, you need to call this phone number. And what was interesting about the story too, and I thought I found this to be remarkable, the whole time that he was traveling, those 620 miles, he said somebody from his family knew where he was. So he has this phone, right? So they're able to track his steps. And he said, knowing that they knew where I was helped me to keep moving forward. So he's internalizing these, these uh, supportive people while they're 600 miles from him. He's picturing the, the, the reconnection, the ability to be able to wrap his arms around. And I think he has four brothers and sisters and his dog. Yeah. So, you know, what struck me about exactly that is he says to the reporters and what, what a huge inspiration being 11 years old and talking to these big reporters with big microphones and the world's looking at this guy and he's 11 and he has such charisma and I loved his comment, which was my hope carried me. And I think that should be on t-shirts around the world because hope is, it's the most positive thing that you can have. And so, you know, me, I, I always have sort of some sort of acronym because it's the way my mind thinks. I think it was in law school because I had to remember so many elements. So I take these words and I'm always putting <laughs> meaning to them. And so I looked at hope. Um, just before we went on the air and I thought, well, what does that mean to me? And I thought the H is hero, be your own hero. And that little guy, what a hero. And then opportunity, you know, he took this opportunity to benefit himself and his family positively. He didn't say, this is something horrible that I have to endure. He said, this is my opportunity to make a positive change. And then priorities for the P and he prioritized his family's happiness, his happiness and their overall success. And then E enthusiastic. This little guy is just so enthusiastic about his ability to handle the situation and stay strong and in control and to know that he matters and his family matters and his country matters. And so hero, opportunity, priorities, enthusiastic, that to me is what hope means. That's what that little guy means when he says, my hope carried me. And I think we all can learn from this 11 year old, what wisdom. That was one of the things I was thinking about when we are going through these last few weeks and we're hearing about so many stories of loss and devastation and destruction. There are also stories that are about resilience, that are about strength and fortitude. And I think that, you know, when we talk about even in the worst of situations, there are messages and lessons that we can walk away with. That's what I felt when I listened to this little guy talk. And, you know, I bumped into this story by accident. I have been very um, mindful about how much of the news I've been watching over the last couple of weeks, because I think after the first week, I decided I can't, I can't see these images because these are images that are 
haunting me, that are stirring up stuff for me. But I want to be able to, I, I want to be able to know. And when I heard the announcement about the story of, you know, the, the Don Lemon on CNN says, and coming up next, we're going to talk to this 11 year old boy who left Ukraine without any family. I was not going to turn that television off. And you know, one of the things that I loved about this little guy was when he talked to Don Lemon, he did not come across as a kid that was traumatized. He came across as a kid that felt like he had just won the Olympics. He, there was such a sense of victory in not even just his words, but in his expression. You know, at one point Don says to him, were you sad? Did you, did you cry? And he says, well, I, I felt sad, but I didn't want to cry because I knew that I needed to go. And when he asked um, Hassan about what was it like to leave your mom, to say goodbye to your mom? And his response was, I knew I would see her again. And this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking when people go through really difficult situations, when people go through assaults or people are in war, I think one of the things that keeps people going is they think about, they think about the people that are behind, their family members, their partners, their children. And I think when they think of those images, that's what really keeps them going. So I wanted to ask you, because we haven't talked about this yet, but when I was, when I was uh, listening to Hassan talk and he was talking about being how he was able to leave his mom. I was thinking about some of what we've talked about in past shows and some of what you wrote about and just watch me. When you, when you talked about living with your grandparents for five years and then one day you're basically told that you need to go back and live with your parents. I remember when you told the story thinking, how did she like get through that? Like, how did she go? How, how, how were you able to go to sleep and continue to eat and follow the rules? So I'm, I was wondering when you read this story about this little guy, did you see yourself in him at all? Yes. I felt like I was that five-year-old waving to my grandparents, wondering if I would ever see them again, feeling kidnapped. Of course, he's not kidnapped, but he's shoved out the door at 11 on his own to say, find your family 620 miles away. And all you have is a phone number, a cell phone and a backpack. I felt like him uh, in, in many ways, but I think what intuitively I knew from the very good grounding and foundation of my grandparents that I mattered, that I could accomplish anything that we were in America and it was so great, is that I accepted, I didn't fight against it, um, in that moment, I could have gone kicking and screaming and, you know, kicked out the windows of the car and done whatever it was. Um, I fought against it my whole life in different ways to keep my voice because I lost my voice in that moment, but I accepted it. And I really believe, and I have learned and intuitively knew in those moments that happiness and success of me was dependent upon my ability to acknowledge my circumstance and realize it for what it was and 
not what I wanted it to be, which was to stay with my grandparents and then having a sense that they gave me that my life had a, a purpose. And for whatever reason, I was going a different place. I was curious about it and I tried to look forward to it and then be flexible about what was going to happen. And always in my head, understood that my coping mechanism would be, I'm going to get back to the place with my grandparents. I am going to find my way back. I am not gonna look at this negative. I'm going to stay hopeful and positive, adapt to the change, but always remember where I came from and that I'm going back there and that I am who they taught me to be. Even if I never saw them again, they lived inside me. And I don't know how that little five-year-old girl figure that out. I couldn't have articulated that at five, but that's what kept me alive, literally, because in those moments, I thought I was going to um, die of pain. Of heartbreak, right. it sounds like. Heartbreak and, is painful. Well, you know what you just described, that's what resiliency is. You know, when, when I think about different people that I talk to, people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, people who survived different experiences as children, never really understood the impact or the magnitude, and then realizing as an adult what actually happened or how they got through things. I think if I were to talk to you when you were eight or 10, what you just described to us, you, would pro you probably wouldn't have had the words. So I think what you're describing is, is the idea that even children who have no say who don't feel like they have a voice, have a way of holding on to the opportunity and the idea that the choice for them will come in time. I know, you know, one of the things I was thinking about when I was writing the article, because I feel like that his age, Hassan's age is a very, um, developmentally speaking, it's a pivotal age. There's so many changes that happen with children between the ages of eight and 10 and 11. And this little boy had many words and seemed to me as somebody who had a voice of some type because he was able to recount the story and recount the words that his mom instructed him. And he was able to, like you're talking about internalize, he could really internalize what he was being asked to do and know that he was gonna make it to the other side. I think about all the people in the world who, as they get older and they look back on these experiences and they realize, oh my gosh, I can't believe I had to go through that. I can't believe someone would do that to me. I, I can't believe that there would be somebody evil enough that would do what Putin is doing. An 11 year old can't really wrap their head around that the same way someone our age can. So one of the things I was thinking about, and we actually were talking about this today too, before we came on, we both have done a lot of writing and we have both shared parts of our experiences with the public. And the theme I think for both of us has a lot to do with feeling voiceless, feeling powerless. I think if you're out here and you're somebody that's struggling to digest or make sense of something that happened to you 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the stories that we're talking about today are the stories that you wanna be reading about. Because I think as we get older and we better understand really what actually happened, those younger parts of ourselves get triggered 
And you were telling me today when you were talking about your book just coming out in paperback, we were talking about how we really have not been able to read our own books. And we were talking about the idea that there's stuff we still haven't digested. That's what I think about when I think about this story. I think about all the adults, even some of the adults that are going through the war in Ukraine right now, you want to go back and read these stories about children and you want to be able to find ways to then heal and nurture that younger part of you that now understands what happened. Well, and for anybody listening, resilience doesn't mean, oh, I'm an immediate success and all these problems have happened and I'm just going to overcome it. I think that Sherry and I have both experienced, and of course, Sherry, you can speak to for yourself, but from what we have talked about, I think we've both experienced ups and downs. And I think the road to resilience can be paved with considerable emotional stress and many ups and downs. However, the behaviors, the thoughts and actions remain focused on overcoming whatever adversity is being faced. And there's no time limit on healing, no time limit on facing those. Resiliency is like that rubber band that stretches and goes in and out. And eventually, um, you know, it becomes whatever shape it's supposed to be. And oddly enough, because I guess it's the lawyer and judging me, I looked up knowing that we were going to talk about this. I looked up the de definition of resiliency because I wondered, what does it really mean? Mm -hmm. And it's defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness. It applies to people in the way they also describe it sort of as a, a thing, um, as an object, which is the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. And I think that from whatever adversity we suffer, that's what it's about is getting back to ourselves in a different way, learning it, looking at our behaviors. I think there's a piece of cognitive behavioral in here. I'm not an expert on that. You would be the expert on that. But I got to thinking about you and your stories and the fact that you're an incest survivor. And as you're in New York and you're dancing and you're doing all the things that you're doing, you've just also been traumatized, raped. And here you are saying, I'm going to adapt to my situation. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to do these other things for myself. And I don't know how you did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like now I'm starting to lose words because as you're saying that, I can remember so many different times in my life, especially between the ages of 10 and 20, where I would wake up and look in the mirror and I would see tears and filling up in my eyes and I would feel shame in my gut. And I would think to myself, I don't want to be here anymore. But then a second later, there was something that I had that I wanted to do, whether it was go to that next audition or hang out with one of my friends or see my favorite teacher. So the question you asked me, same question that I want to say back to you. I mean, you, you wrote about so many different stories in your book where I think, how in the world did she actually get through that? And sometimes you say on this show, you'll say, um, you know, I don't have PTSD. You don't say I'm not a trauma survivor, but you talk about not having PTSD. Sometimes I feel like you don't identify as somebody with a trauma history when I hear you talk. Because yeah. I think when you talk about your experiences and then you compare them to maybe other people 
people's experiences that you hear about, whether it's at work or even in your personal life or when you're talking to me, there's this piece of you that um, it doesn't see, I don't think the amount of emotion that's behind some of the stories that you share. So I feel like yeah. this is where- You we got can me, all- Sherry. I did. Oops. You got me. You know why? You're here busted. When the, yeah, busted. Um, I don't see myself as PTSD. I don't see myself as traumatized. I don't see myself as abused. I don't see myself as any of those things. I think that's part of my resiliency and maybe putting some blinders on because as we talked about, I haven't, I don't know that I'm going to read my book. I have listened to it on tape, but as I was going through it, and of course it has to go through all the lawyer checks and everything. The lawyer said, you know, you are really talking about abuse. And I said, well, I I don't see it that way. And they said, do you want to talk about this? Is this okay? And I said, you know, it absolutely is because, and now as you're making me say it, I think that when we're talking about resilience, it takes time, intentionality. I mean, I, I intentionally Uh, focused on my resilience, looking in the mirror, crying and saying, you are strong. You're going to get past this. You don't need anybody else. You are you look at the light in your eyes, all those things. And I really focused on my well-being, my mindfulness, healthy thinking. I took any negative thoughts and, you know, flushed them down the toilet, took a shower, flushed them down the drain. I did these visual things. um, And I really tried to make meaning out of it in terms of, I am hopeful. I am not filled with despair. I am hopeful. I have a connection to a really good group of family members and, uh, you know, my church and my community and my friends, and there's so many positive things. And yes, I still have my grandparents and yes, I am traumatized, but it doesn't define who I am, where I'm going or what I'm going to do in my life. And that resiliency came from that fire that was lit inside me by my grandparents, you know, from the time I was, you know, maybe 11, 12 months old, but it has its ups and downs. And for those of you out there who are suffering from anything, it's okay to go backwards and forwards. It's okay to learn. It's okay to be angry, but I think we all need to have some purposefulness and some ways that you can Um, deal with the trauma. I know Sherry and I both do things. I mean, I have too much coffee, but I also do too many crafts and too many outlets because I need them. Right. And, you know, I journaling, I do writing, meditation, prayer, positive affirmations come in my bathroom and I'm going to look like a crazy person because there's sticky notes all over. And it's not because I'm vain about it. It's because I have to remind myself of positive things. There are always low points in everybody's life, including me. And I know Sherry, you too, during COVID, we and I, you and I shared a lot of low points. We even talked about them some on the show. And sometimes you need to make a list for what you're grateful for. There might be yoga or helping others to remind yourself how fortunate you are and to find purpose. There's so many things. And so I have sort of had this trail of breadcrumbs in my life that I can pick up to find my way back to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's beautifully said. And you know what, what you're actually talking about, well, I know we're saying the word a lot, the word resilience, when you're actually going through whatever it is that you're going through, when this little guy is being told, we want you to, we want you to get, get on, get your bag, get your phone and get on that train and get the hell out of here. 
when you're actually going through something that's awful, which again, when I read your book, when I read some of the stories, I remember thinking that sounds horrible. That's awful. When we're going through it, part of what resiliency is, is not fully digesting it. If if I let myself fully know the impact of what's about to happen, I will not make it. So one of the things I was thinking about when, when you talk, you know, when we talk about healing and that this is a process, I would love to go back and talk to Hassan a year from now. I can imagine that a year from now, he will not just be smiling. He will be feeling grief and pain, and he will start experiencing the feelings that he could not digest or process as he was traveling to another country. Just like when you talked about some of your experiences in your first marriage and some of the things that were said to you, or when you talk about in your updated paperback, you talk about some harassment and bullying that you deal with in the work world. When you're going through it, you have to, in order to be resilient, you have to have a sense of hope and you have to be able to stay strong. But once we win, whatever it is that we're trying to win, whether it's a war or escaping an abusive relationship or dealing with the fact that I'm being taken from my own parent, once you start to settle down and life gets back into more like a normal living, that's when you get hit with the feelings. And that's when resiliency is no longer enough. That's why when you talk about the post-it notes, um, I, I, it's funny that you say that because you may, you're making me want to call one of my clients who actually does something very similar to you. She's been putting notes all over her dorm, positive statements. This is a woman who's not even 20 years old. And I don't think she listens to our show. So she didn't steal the idea from you. And when she told, <laughs> when she told she can. me, she it's not, it's not a new idea. Post, I, post-it notes were invented for people like us. For a reason, right? <laughs> when she was, I made her, well, I didn't make her. I asked her, if you feel comfortable, could you please share with me? She read, she was actually reading some of the statements that were written on her backboard behind her. And that's when I started feeling so much energy and hope. And that's what people need when they're trying to recover from experiences that feel almost impossible to survive. I was thinking about Hassan's mom, who I don't know if you know this, they are now reunited. She did get out. But those days that he was traveling, how did she not like lose her mind? If I don't know where my kid is or he, the bus is five minutes late, I start getting like this sinking feeling, not because I think something's wrong, but just because something is different. So I think about her too. I think, how did she, how did she go to sleep that night? How, these are the questions that people ask me. And these are the questions that you're asking me about my story, but these are the questions that I'm bouncing back on to you because that's a question that comes up over and over when I sit and talk with clients. I find myself thinking sometimes multiple times a week, how is this person even sitting here telling me this? How? They have a good sense of control and coping skills. And she gave her 
child, what she had, which is a strong sense of self-worth and character saying, you go for it. You can do this. This is all about, you know, our family and achieving greatness. And you are that person that will do this. And just those, those positive things. And he internalized that. I mean, we all need to instill that in our children, but I have to tell you a funny thing that as you're talking about all of this, I'm imagining an animal. Do you know which one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would like to say cat because if it, it, you know, I don't. I think you should post the funny one about your you hanging the thing on your cat's tail, and it's just funny. I've watched it like a hundred times when I when I get upset or something. I she she gives me a laugh. She, she you need to post it now, Sherry. But um, she makes her cat exercise by chasing its tail. It's very very funny. But and it's not a cat. Um, no, I'm thinking of a this? turtle. I'm thinking of a turtle. So I think that in order to sometimes adapt and be resilient, we all need to go inside our shell and regroup. And it's okay to say, I failed today, but tomorrow I'm going to do better. Or I need a self-care moment or a reflection moment, whatever. Regroup and then stick your head back out of the shell and slowly take some steps and know that you know, you can make a connection with someone who can help you and you have to have the confidence, the belief in yourself. So when you stick your head out, it's because you believe in yourself and you believe tomorrow, like my, my favorite character, tomorrow is another day, Scarlett <laughs> O'Hara says. And I think that when that turtle comes out and says, I'm not in my shell anymore, I'm taking another step, screw you, whatever it is, you know, and that's that resilience. I think you know, if you don't do that, you are a flipped upside down turtle and lost. And I hope that someone finds you and flips you back over, but we all have to rely on the resilience inside of us and come out of our shell and take the next step and even have that strength, that moment to say, I need a therapist, a therapist like Sherry. I need, um, an affirmation. I need a self-care moment. I'm going to take another step. I have the uh, confidence to believe in myself and the world and the people around me and the competence to know when I'm stressed and when I'm not and when I can move forward. There's no time limit. There's no right or wrong. And I think resilience is so important because every human being has it. If you think you've lost mm -hmm. yours, it is not lost. It might be slightly misplaced, but you can find it. And I think the main concept that you're talking about, and you're saying it in many different ways, when we can internalize somebody else who's standing in our corner, I was just thinking about this too, because I'm not in your courtroom, so I don't get to hear a lot of these stories, but I'm imagining that many of the people the predators and the and the criminals, or even when I think about this horrible war and some of these awful things that these soldiers are doing to innocent people, I think to myself, what's different about them? What happened to them that makes them be able to be without any remorse or empathy? And the thing that I keep coming back to is, I bet they don't have somebody that they feel really believes in them. I bet some of these people come from families where they didn't have somebody they could internalize. I think one of the reasons why you were able to keep living when you were taken from your grandparents is because you took, like you said, you internalized your grandparents. You might not have been with them physically, but they were in your heart and in your mind. 
for sure. I just had a case in front of me and it, well, it's not just, it's been going on a couple of years and I have allowed this young man to earn a non-public record and he hasn't done so great, but I have to say, as I always say, is someone's 50% might be someone else's 100%. Okay. You can only expect what you can expect. And his backstory, which always, it's the backstory that helps me make my decision, that helps me look at, can this person be rehabilitated? What can I do so this doesn't happen? What happened to him? Let me just tell you that at nine years old, okay, we're not talking about an 11-year-old, nine-year-old, very tender age, things were so bad at his home, he simply walked out and left. And went out on his own at nine years old. I cannot even imagine it. He left with the clothes on his back, never looked back. And eventually protective services, you know, he got in the, in the system and he had some foster homes. None of them lasted very long. And essentially, basically, he doesn't have more than an eighth grade education. And he's really learned how to survive. And he's a bit angry about that. And I told him, you know, I wish I knew you. I would have invited you in my home and kept you safe and been the mom that you needed and he burst out in tears because no one's told him that ever and so he has had some problems on probation and against everybody let me just tell you everybody the department of corrections the prosecutor the probation agent every single person except his lawyer who's his advocate um, they said you just got to put him in prison because prison's the next stop i said i'm not going to do that i'm going to put him in some additional treatment that I think he needs. And I told him, you know, you, you have to do this. Otherwise I will have no choice, but to put you in prison. But I see that you're a valuable human being and I wish I were your mom, but I'm not. But as a judge, I can direct your life. So I want you to think about me as your mom, who's given you some things that you have to do for you. Cause the choice is yours and your probation agent as the dad, who sometimes may yell at you a little bit. And I said, has he yelled at you? Because he's very kind. <laughs> He's a very kind man. And I don't think he yells very often. And the, and the boy said, and I say boy, cause he really is a boy at heart, but he's, he's um, 19 and um, he said, well, he has yelled at me. And I said, you probably deserved it. Didn't you? And he said, yes, I did. I said, so he did that out of love because we all want you to succeed. And he burst out in tears. And I said, so your probation agent is your dad and I'm your mom. And I need you to think about that because we want your success, but you have to want it more than us because the consequence is prison. And I do not want to send you there. I need you to succeed. I have every reason to believe that he finally is getting it, that he needs to address. And I told him to forgive the little boy, the nine-year-old who walked out, who needed to walk out to be safe. And he, from the time I said, I would have taken him home and then told him I'm the mom being the court and probation's the dad. He, he just continued to cry because no one had ever put him in their family in that way. And he does have the resilience to survive or he would have been long gone either with a gang or with uh, prison or, I mean, he's got a record that I think we can overcome. And I think now he may do it, but it's taken a lot of work. And I see in him the same kind of fight and fire as in this 11 year old, but he didn't have a mom to say, you can do it. And here's the phone number, backpack and cell phone. He literally has had nothing. And from what you're describing, he's pissed about that. The part of him that went out and got into trouble 
was the part of him that was probably feeling like this is this is not fair. It's not fair that this was the choice that I felt like I had to make at nine years yes. old. And as he gets older, he and I know he's still sort of just a kid, I guess, 19, you're yeah, still sort 19. of a kid. But yeah. he, I think at, at 19 is starting to realize how gypped he was and how horrible it is at that age to have, Absolutely. he didn't have anybody looking out for him. And your words are so powerful. This is the thing I think about when we're in relationships with people and we, whether we're their friend, the judge, the therapist, it doesn't even matter who we are, the sister, the brother. If you know somebody that's in pain and you know somebody that's feeling like they just don't think they can do it anymore, whether it's that they can't continue to fight through cancer, they can't continue to fight in a war, they can't follow through and stay away from their abuser. If we can take those few minutes, because you didn't take all week to say this to this guy, this was a, it sounds like an exchange that you had in the courtroom over the course of minutes, the power of those words over those minutes, and not even just your words, but the ability to show empathy and concern. If, if we can give that to people, and we can also get that back when we need it, that's what's going to make the difference. Because then we have somebody else besides ourselves that believes in us, that's holding us up, that's telling us that we're worth more than what we think we're worth at the time that he's committing these crimes. Like you said, he's a valuable human being. He's not just a criminal. Right. And he needs to be told. And I told him, you matter and you've done great. I know there's been obstacles and you need to forgive that little boy. He didn't do anything wrong. And the interesting thing, and I maybe you can address this. Actually, I know you can address. It. I'm going to put you on the spot again. <laughs> but I think that we all as humans need to recognize, we need to say, you did this. You are spectacular. You accomplished this. Because when we say, I am proud of you, or I'm so happy for you, or I was you know, excited to see that, it really changes it to the focus on yourself and how you were feeling. When in fact, we need to empower the other person by saying, you did this, yay. And when we do that, you did this, yay, they can really feel it internally. When you say, well, I did, you know, I'm happy because of what you did, then it's more of a, a personal thing for you and you're not crediting their accomplishment. And it sounds like such a small thing, but I have seen the difference. I know that for graduates, for example, I have had, a, I've had thousands of students and many of them come back and say, I did this. I passed the bar because of you. I was able to help this client because of you. I, you know, and they tell me what they did and they say, because of you. And I say, it's not because mm -hmm. of me. It mm -hmm. is because you did it. I appreciate you thanking me, but let me just tell you, you did this. You did it by yourself. I only opened the door for you to um, take that power. You did it. You ran with it and congratulations to you. And I have so many times been told, actually a hundred percent of the time I've been told, you're the first person that told me I deserve the credit. Everyone else said, you know, they did something or they acknowledged that it was because of them that I did something. And they said, you didn't do that. Why? And I have to explain because I didn't do it. You did it. I'm proud of you, but you need to be proud of you. You were spectacular. It's like as a parent, you know how like when you're proud of your kid, you want to be like, I'm so proud of you. You know what we need to say? You were flipping awesome out there. You're today. awesome. You, not yeah, you, 
Use right. the U word. Yeah. Well, right. Not in a fight, but in <laughs> yeah. don't yeah. do that in a fight. Don't feel no. like you this and you that, but absolutely there's, because you know what you're describing? You're saying you're, you need to take credit. You need to be able to recognize what you just did. That builds so much confidence. And as you're saying you to the person, that person is still internalizing the idea that there's somebody out there that recognizes and appreciates what I've just done. I think this is so important. This is something that teachers need to work on. Like I was, I'm even thinking, I was talking to a teacher yesterday and a few times she said, I'm so proud of blah, 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 blah. And I kept thinking, I, I, I was so appreciative of her statements, but I wanted to say to her, have you said to him, you did such an amazing job right. because that's what really matters. I, right. I'm glad that you're proud of me, but I need to, I want you to give that to me. And this is something too, with people who are working through very difficult situations. Um, I'm imagining that you'll hear from this, this guy that you're talking about in your courtroom and he's going to come back and he's going to tell you all these amazing stories, because I think that's what you do for people. And I think that you're going to say to him what you just said, you're going to say to him, you took the words that were said to you and you use yeah. them. You went out there and you did the work. People who go through adversity, which at this point is pretty much every single one of us on this planet. When we decide that we've got grit and that we're going to take our energy and take our anger and turn it into action, there's so much good that comes from that. And to be able to recognize I did that work. You helped me. You believing in me made a difference, but I'm the one that took in what the judge said. And then I went out there and I turned my life around. And you're absolutely right. Countless times they come back, defendants come back, sometimes victims come back and they say, you did this. I always say, I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. You did the hard work. You earned that. You are spectacular. You are phenomenal. You are fabulous. And I think we all need to practice saying those things. And it's just like Hassan, the 11 year old who the media was saying, you are a hero. You are a role model you know, that you, because he did the work. I mean, his mom gave him the tools, but he did the work. And to say, you are extraordinary. That is a fantastic thing. And I also want to say that you don't have to be extraordinary right. to be resilient. All you have to do is be you is to be ordinary because every human has resilience and don't forget it. Find it. If you think you don't have it, if you've lost it, it's still there. Sherry and I can help you find it. Re-listen to this. Uh, talk to those people around you. Meet with a trained trauma therapist. It is there. You just have to look and you will find it. So as we're getting ready to wrap up, if you were sitting down and talking to somebody right now and they said to you and it doesn't have to be somebody in your courtroom it could be your kid it could be your friend I could call you if somebody says I just can't take it anymore I don't think it's worth it to keep fighting what would you say back to that person I would say that first of all you matter you need to keep fighting and resilience is something that's like a, a workout you know you don't become a long distance runner by jogging up to the neighbor's house and back. 
you become a long distance runner by jogging up to the neighbor's house and then the next day going to the next neighbor's house and the next day going down the whole street. And it's like exercising any muscle. You have to build up endurance and continue daily. And it's okay to take a break. Even every athlete takes a break, but you will have positive growth, even if there's an occasional setback, you have to give your room, your yourself room to have the setbacks and the growth and it takes time. But it beats the alternative. If you all want to go see God, I guess that's on you, but God doesn't want to see you right now. We all have work to do. We have work to do here. We need to partner together for life, for resiliency, and to make the world a better place. If you are here on this earth, you are here for a reason. Let's find our resilience. Let's work on it like a muscle. Have that everyday workout, even if it's just a talk with yourself. Uh, look, reading the post-it notes, doing some positive affirmation. It can be really tiny, but that resilience will grow and grow and grow. And eventually you will have the competence you need and the confidence, you'll have a connection with people you never thought you'd have a connection with. You will make great contributions in the world and in your life, and you will develop slowly but surely coping mechanisms and have the control you never thought you'd have. That was a, a bunch of great ideas and so important because all those ideas that you're suggesting are what keep people moving forward. And also to just keep a mind when you have those moments where you think I can't take it anymore, just know you won't feel that way forever. It's a feeling, feeling hopeless, feeling like I just wanna give up. It's a feeling just like any other feeling that we'll have through the course of the day. So to remember as you're affirming yourself to also remind yourselves that these feelings that come will shift, especially if you do what Judge Aquilina is saying, if you get, if you redirect yourself and focus on what makes you feel purpose and meaning and make sure you stay connected. I think that's one of the themes of the show. And when we're talking about different people and what they've been through, the one of the reasons this little boy could make it to safety, I believe is because he knew he was not gonna be by himself. He had the support and he had those people in his heart and in his soul as he was traveling 600 miles. So to make sure that you find people that you can connect to and reach out when you feel like I don't see strength, I don't see resiliency in myself, ask somebody else to tell you about a time when you said that to them have them remind you of what happened when you felt that way before. Yeah. When you use the word hopeless, if any of you, if you say, I feel hopeless, here's the mantra I want you to say. I want you to get rid of that word less. I want you to think about hope. I want you to say, I am not less than, I am more than, I have hope. And hope means I'm my own hero. I have an opportunity to look at my outcome in my own life and prioritize myself. And I'm going to do it with enthusiasm every single day. And I bet what you just said is what you said to yourself every single time you went through difficult 
situations. I can imagine that this is something that you've said many, many, many times to yourself. The best gift we can give to ourselves is to be able to share messages of hope that have worked for us, to be able to share them and spread them throughout this world because that's what's gonna ultimately lead to safety and connection and purpose. Goodness said it better myself. And yes, I probably did say those things to myself. <laughs> see, Sherry gets to point out all these things in myself that I don't see, which is great because that's the kind of relationship we have and we never get upset with each other. So when someone points out things that you don't see in yourself, good or bad, talk them out, smile about it and move forward. And I think that's the end of our time together. It always runs too short. I feel like it goes way too fast. And I think some of it's because we have so much that we want to say and so many stories and messages that we're trying to not just tell all of you that are listening, but we're telling ourselves this too, because we go through stuff, like you said, and we're going to go through stuff this week and we'll go through stuff next week. So I think that it's, it's hard to come to a conclusion at the end of these episodes because there's always more to say. Yeah. So accept yourself, act with purpose, be flexible. And you know what that means? It means you're resilient. Until next time, this is Warrior Women Speak. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again. See you soon. See you soon. Thanks so much for joining us today on Warrior Women Speak. It truly is an honor to be able to sit down with Judge Aquilina and have such meaningful conversations. Stay tuned. Each Monday, we will be releasing new episodes in the hopes that we will inspire, uplift, and instill hope. Be sure to subscribe now to at Warrior Women Speak. Until next time.